John 17. So we are going to pick up where we left off last week, looking at some of these requests that Christ is making for his people. And uh, just so we get going, let me remind you of the outline, how this prayer, this passage, John 17, unfolds. Begins in verses 1 through 5 with Christ's prayer for himself. And then in the rest of the the chapter, verses 6 to 26, he prays for his people. And then that section breaks down further into two parts. Verses 6 to 19, he prays for his current disciples, so those who are his disciples in the world during his earthly ministry, the, the apostles. And then he expands it to pray for all of his disciples, uh, those who will believe through their witness, you and, and I, in verses 20 through, through 26. And so we're still in that, in that first group, verses 6 to 19, where he's praying for his current disciples, the apostles. But as we saw last week, and as we will again see this week, um, those requests and what he prays there has much application for you and I. So in those, in those verses, um, we, we, we zoomed in to verses 11 to 19, where he makes these requests, and there he makes two specific requests for his disciples in light of his departure and their mission while in the world. So as Christ is about to depart from the world, he will be leaving his people behind in the world as those who are no longer from the world in order to be sent back into the world as his witnesses. So that many from the world will be brought out from the world and will join and become part of his people. And since he's going to be departing and no longer with his disciples, he is praying for them. He's no longer going to be with them in this mission of theirs to the world. And so he commits them to his father's care. But notice, and we pointed this out last week, that Christ not only prays for his people, but he also lets us listen in on his prayer. Isn't that interesting? He didn't have to do that. He wants us to hear what he prayed for us. Why? Well, it's because he wants us to know what he has secured for us. He wants us to know the Father's commitment to us. He's left us in this hostile world for the purpose of witness. And if we're going to engage this world rightly while he is away... We need to know and be strengthened by what he prays for in this passage. We noted last week that we as disciples in this world face two main temptations in regard to our commission, our mission. What are they? Well, the first was that we would withdraw from this world and not engage this world as we ought. And the second is that we would conform to this world. Or compromise with it. And both temptations undermine our witness. Undermine the very purpose for which Christ has left us here. We saw last week that he specifically prays that the Father not take his disciples out of the world. Even though it will mean opposition and hatred and persecution and suffering. But he prays for us to secure all that we need, and he lets us hear it to encourage us and give us boldness for this mission while we're left in the the world. 
And so last week we looked at the first of these requests in verses 11 to 15 where he prays for his people's preservation as they remain in the world. He prays the Father would keep his people in true faith, persevering in faith in him. And as they are kept, they would be kept in unity with one another, filled with his joy. And all of that is unto the goal of witness and mission in the world. His will is not that we be protected by being removed from the world, but that we would be enabled to endure within it, filled with his joy, reflecting his unity, holding fast to the gospel, all for the sake of witness to this world. Well, this morning we come now to his second request in verses 16 through 19. As Christ's people have been brought out from the world who are no longer from the world but sent into the world, we also face the danger of compromise, of becoming indistinguishable from the world. And that, too, threatens not only our own souls, but also our witness, our mission for which we've been sent. And so, in these verses, verses 16 to 19, Christ will pray for his people's sanctification, since they are sent into the world to which they no longer belong. So let's read these verses, verses 16 to 19. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. So before we begin to look at these verses more more closely, I want to direct your attention back to how Christ began making these requests in verse 11. Look at how he addresses his father in verse 11. Look what he says. Holy Father. He calls him Holy Father. Now, I didn't spend much time on that last week, but I want to now, because of how significant it is for our passage This is the only place in the Bible where Jesus addresses the Father as Holy Father. But I think he says it here to prepare us for the verses that we have in front of us this morning. God is holy. The words holy or sanctified or consecrate, as we see scattered throughout this passage, are all from the same Greek word, um, hagias, hagiazo, to to be holy. It will come up three times in verses 17 through through 19. And English translates it different ways, but it's the same word in Greek. And it's introduced here in verse 11 as Christ addresses the Father as Holy Father. In other words, the holiness, holiness of God is the foundation of and is the reason for the holiness of all those who are in relationship with him. Because God is holy, therefore we too must be holy. Christ will pray, verses 16 to 19, for his people because the Father is holy. Now, what is holiness? 
What does that mean that God is holy? That is a surprisingly difficult question to answer. Twice in Scripture, Isaiah 6, Revelation 4, we get this glimpse of the, of the throne room and hear the angels proclaiming God as being holy, 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 thrice holy. It's the only place in Scripture, or it's the only attribute of God in Scripture that receives this threefold repetition, holy, holy, holy. God is never called love, 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 or praised as being mercy, mercy, mercy. All those are certainly attributes of God. But they're not the core. Only holiness is repeated like this. He is holy, holy, holy. You see, whatever else God is, he is first and foremost holy. It's at the very heart of what it means for God to be God. So what does it mean that he's holy? Some people like to define holiness as separateness. Right? You've probably heard that. It, to be holy means to be separate. And there's certainly some, some truth to that definition, but something isn't quite right if all the angels are declaring is that God is separate, separate, separate. You see? Something's missing. Others define holiness as moral purity. And again, th- there's some truth to that, but something's missing if all that it means is that God is moral, moral, moral. Do you see? This, too, doesn't seem to capture all that this word is meant to communicate. No, when the word holy is used to describe God, it is virtually an adjective for God himself. It refers to the godness of God. It highlights his distinction, his his separateness. There's that idea of separation from anything and everything that is not like himself. And as such, his moral purity and and, and his perfection are, are implied. He cannot sin or be contaminated with impurity. Rather, he's set apart. He's not like us. He's not like his creation in any way. He is transcendent. He's far above us. He's glorious in power and in majesty. He is not easily approachable. In fact, he is quite terrifying. He's holy. And as such, the highest order of sinless, angelic beings cannot even look at him, but ceaselessly cry, holy, holy, holy. And that's how Christ begins his prayer, with the transcendence of God by acknowledging the holiness of the Father. We here get a glimpse of the incredible relationship that Christ enjoys with with God. The holy and transcendent God is also the Father to whom Christ prays. You see those two? Holy Father. Christ has been eternally in intimate fellowship with the holy, transcendent God. He approaches the holy, unapproachable God with closeness and intimacy as to his own Father. And that just screams out his deity. Only God could say that. And Christ has come 
and made known that same Holy Father to us. And he's provided a way for us to be reconciled to him, to know him. In fact, for us to even be able to call him our father. And that has massive implications on our lives. If God is holy, and if he is now our father through Christ, then it is imperative that we also be holy. That's what Christ will pray for us in in these verses this morning. And so in verses 16 to 18 now, we, we come to the, the first part of, of his prayer. And in it, he tells us that the sanctification of his people is imperative for their mission into the world. Sanctification of his people is imperative for their mission into the world. Christ here prays for the holiness of his people But before we examine just what what does that mean, that we are to be holy, verse 16, he first gives us the environment in which disciples find themselves. Look at verse 16 again. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. This is virtually uh, exact quotation of verse 14. He's just said the same thing in verse 14. 14. Disciples are not from the world. We've been born from above. We have new life. The world is no longer our source and and origin. And as such, we're we're like Christ. And and, and this is the environment in which we find ourselves in the midst of the world, a rebellious system of humanity, which is no longer the source of our life and value. Notice how both of Christ's requests in verse 11 and then now in verse 16 and 17 begin with a disciple's relationship to the world. Verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Therefore, keep them in your name. Verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Therefore, sanctify them in your name. You see that? Both requests are rooted in our relationship as disciples with this world. And this is the environment that we find ourselves in. That's why... Holiness is imperative. It's because we find ourselves now in the midst of an unholy world to which we do not belong. It's because the world is essentially unholy. And it will only be as disciples are holy as God is holy that we can possibly bear witness to the world. And that leads to to his prayer and In verse 17, the prayer for which Christ prays for them, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What's his request? His request is that the Father sanctify them. Given the reality that disciples find themselves in the midst of a world to which they no longer belong, they are not only in need of divine preservation, but in need of divine sanctification. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to sanctify? Well, it's from that same word we saw above for holy. But what does it mean for us to be holy? Well, well, this word holy at its core describes the absolute otherness of God, right? That's what we saw a minute ago. It can be also used to describe people or places or, or things, that have been dedicated 
or set apart for exclusive usage for God alone. So, for instance, a priest or an animal or a shovel or a pot or a tent in the Old Testament is set apart from all other usages to belong only for the usage of God and his purposes. And therefore, it too becomes holy. You see? It doesn't mean when, that, when it says it's holy that it becomes God, but that it's been distinguished from everything else and belongs exclusively for his purposes. That's what it means to sanctify. And then that word holy takes on an even more derived sense of morality and purity. What is set apart for God and God's purposes will also be set apart to God in all aspects of life, right? Not just ceremonially, but in our mind, our thoughts, and our actions, and in every way. We'll be completely dedicated to God's will and God's purposes, And so the request that Jesus makes here is for the Father to sanctify his people. That is, that the Father would set his people apart for holy service to God, exclusively for his purpose and and will. Jesus said something very similar about his own coming. This This is helpful. Back in chapter 10, verse 36, Jesus said, Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated, same word, the Father sanctified, talking about Christ. The Father sanctified Jesus and sent him into the world. Now, that obviously doesn't mean that God made Christ moral, right? That's not what it's talking about. It means that he set him apart for the purposes of serving his purposes in the world, right? Christ was set apart by the Father as the one who would come to accomplish his plans and purposes of redemption. He was sanctified like a priest or a prophet was set apart for a specific mission, for the unique purpose of of God. And, And now the same is said about disciples. As Christ is about to depart from the world and we remain, Christ prays that we too be set apart for the fulfilling of God's purposes in the world. But how will that take place in our lives? How would the Father do that work of setting you and me apart for his purposes? To belong exclusively to him in this world. Well, he tells us the means. Sanctify them by the truth. Sanctify them in or by the truth. Your word is truth. The means, the way whereby Christ's people will be set apart from the world and made ready for God's purposes in the world will be as they are filled with and transformed by the truth. Notice it is the truth. Well, what is that? Jesus defines it. It is your word, the Father's word. It refers to the sum total of the Father's revelation, which has now reached its climax in Christ. It's what Jesus has given to his disciples. In other words, it refers to the entire revelation of God's word. Ultimately revealed, finally revealed in in Jesus Christ. And as such, it is the truth. Not just true, but truth. That is, it's not just true alongside 
all these other truths out there, but it is the truth, the standard to which demands everything else comes up in subjection. Which demands that we bring all of our life, our thoughts, our desires, our motivations, our problems, everything in conformity to what God's word declares as truth. And that's what it means to be a believer. You've received Christ and all that he has spoken as the truth. You've bowed down in submission to him as Lord. And now Jesus says that the truth, God's word, is also the way that God sets his people apart for his purposes in the world. You see, it's not only as we possess the truth, but it's as we live lives more and more in conformity with it, transformed by it, that we will be made ready for holy service to God in this world. Leon Morris put it simply, to be sanctified is to be made ready for a specific task. And here, Christ is praying that the Father would make his people ready for holy service to him. And the way he would do that would be through his word, as it's known, believed, and obeyed. So to put it another way, we will not and cannot be ready or set apart for exclusive service to God's purposes in this world if his word is not taking hold in our life if we are not being saturated in it. The extent to which God's word is filling and influencing your life is the extent to which you will be set apart and made ready for his purposes. No more and no less. D.A. Carson put it this way. He said, No one can be sanctified or set apart for the Lord's use without learning to think God's thoughts after him. Without learning to live in conformity with the word he has graciously given. The heart of worldliness, of what makes the world the world, is its fundamental suppression or denial of the truth, profound rejection of God's gracious word, his self-disclosure in Christ. In other words, disciples are those who have already received and submitted to God's word, but were also in need of being sanctified, set apart for service to God by that same word. By continually bringing our thoughts and our lives back into subjection to it. Which means you got to know it. Which means you got to read it. You got to be saturated in it. It's why we do what we do Sunday mornings. It's why you should be doing what you do throughout the week. Soaking in the word of God. And only as you do that. Only as you do the truth. Will you be set apart. Truly set apart. Made ready. For God's purposes. In the world. And so just, we, just so we don't miss it. Jesus tells us explicitly. The purpose for which his people are sanctified. Verse 18. As I sent you into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As Jesus was sanctified by the Father and sent, so his people are sanctified for the purpose of being sent. In other words, your sanctification 
Your growth in holiness and godliness is not less than your moral improvement and growth in godliness. Obviously, those things are a core part. But that's not the end goal. You see that in the passage? That's not the end goal of your sanctification. The sanctification of God's people is always unto mission. As disciples, you've been sent into the world as Christ's representatives, and your mission while he is away is at stake in your sanctification. That's what Jesus says. The most important thing for a disciple's witness to the world is his holiness, his exclusive separation to God, a life that's being continually set apart for God by conformity to his word. That tells us that our holiness matters. It really matters. And it tells us that it's not an ends in itself. It is unto the ends of engaging this world as a people totally distinct, set apart for God in this world. Sanctification if it is essential if his people are to succeed in this, in this calling. That's why Christ prays what, what he does. You see, holiness does not mean that disciples are to separate themselves from the world, but that they are to, to exist in the world, among the people of the world, yet remaining distinct from the world's values and standards. Disciples are to be holy, conformed to God's values and the truths in in God's word. And as they are, and only when they are, they're made ready and enabled and set apart for holy service to God. What's really interesting is that this was the very calling and purpose of Israel, right? They were to be a holy nation and a kingdom of of priests and to mediate the presence and the, the truth of God to the world, but Israel failed miserably, didn't they? In fact, they became indistinguishable from the world around. And that's why when we come to the New Testament, we find out that Christ is the true Israel. He fulfilled and did what Israel could not do, and now you in Christ are given new hearts and enabled to participate in this same mission. And in fact, it's guaranteed because he prays for you, that you will not be drawn back into the world like Israel was. As our calling, it's his purposes for you as a new covenant people. So before we move on, let me give you a few implications here for for our lives, just by way of summarizing what, what we've said so far. Number one, Christ's prayer secures our sanctification and is meant to highlight the importance of it. He's praying for you. His prayers are always successful, right? All those who truly belong to Christ are sanctified, guaranteed, progressively set apart for God's purposes by conformity to his word. The Father will see to it. The Father's committed to you, to your sanctification in response to Christ. He's committed to your holiness, to your conformity to his word. And through his gracious providence, he will arrange things in your life to bring you back to the word. 
But that not only should produce comfort in our lives, but a sense of gravity, a sense of the importance of this. Your sanctification matters. And it matters not just for your own personal benefit. It matters for the whole reason why you have been left here in the world. Mission. Bearing witness. Fulfilling your commission as a disciple. And that is threatened where there is worldliness in your life. Areas of your life that have not been brought into subjection to the word of Christ. It's meant to drive us to take it seriously. God's holiness, his complete otherness, demands our holiness. Our total separation exclusively to him. Be holy, for I am holy. So that's the first thing. Number two. Christ's prayer should drive us to the, to the word. You want to be useful? For God's purposes in the world? You want to be about the mission of witness to the world that Christ has sent you on? You want to be consecrated to God as Christ was? Then you need to know and be saturated with this book. You cut yourself off from the word. You cut yourself off from the only way. Hear that. The only way. The exclusive way that God sanctifies It sets apart, prepares, makes ready his people. It's the only way. Number three. Don't be content with personal growth and holiness as as though that were the end goal. And I think this is probably the point that has cut and hit home in my life. Our sanctification isn't the primary end, end goal. Realize that you've been saved and are being sanctified in order to engage this dark world with the truth of God revealed in Christ. Yes, your holiness is a priority, but you're actually not truly holy until you're devoted to all of God's purposes. Don't think of holiness as isolation from the world, but as engaging the world That's one distinct from the world with a life that's in growing submission to to God's word. So, those are a few implications from this passage. Meditate on those. Think about those. But we're not done. Verses 16 to 18 told us that sanctification of his people is imperative for their mission into the world. But now the question is how? How can this be a reality for Christ's people? What is it mainly that is at root of our being brought out from the world and set apart for God's purposes and made useful for him as those sent into the world? What what is at the root of that? What is the cause of that? Well, Jesus tells us next in verse 19. The sanctification of his people is rooted in in Christ's cross work. Look at verse 19. He said, And for their sake I sanctify myself, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in the truth. The first half of the verse tells us about the act of Christ's self-consecration for his people. Jesus says that he consecrates himself. 
Back in chapter 10, it said the Father consecrated Christ, sanctified him, set him apart for his purposes. And, and now Christ says that he consecrates himself. That is, he willingly submits to and, and cooperates with the Father's plan. Which in the context of John certainly centers on, on the cross. Jesus says here that he sets himself apart willingly to perform the work of the cross that the Father gave him to do. Who does he do it for? Look what he says. For their sake. For them. That is the same them that appears in just about every single verse of chapter 17. Just pick a verse and you're going to see the word they or them. And it's traced all the way back up to verse 2. Those the Father gave the Son. Jesus sets himself apart as a priest to do the service of God for those the Father gave to him, not by offering a sacrifice, but by being the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, to make atonement for your sin, to give you a new heart and all the promises of the new covenant. And we as his people reap the blessings. And what are those? Well, he he tells us next the purpose of Christ's self-consecration. Look what he says. I consecrate myself for them so that they also may be consecrated or sanctified by truth. In other words, before any of us could be sanctified by truth, set apart for God, exclusively belonging to him and, and his purposes, before that could take place, Christ had to set himself apart for us, dying as the Lamb of God for our sins. He had to bear our wrath that we deserved and secure all the blessings for us. And because he did, everything we've just seen in verses 16 to 18 is not only possible, but it is certain for you. He died for you, his people, not so that you would be saved only, but so that you too would be sanctified. That's why he died for you. So that you would be set apart, devoted to God exclusively and to his purposes in the world. It's the cause of your sanctification and it's the model of your sanctification. Just as he dedicated himself to the Father's purposes, so also now in response we dedicate ourselves to the purposes of the Father in the world, giving our lives to the advancement of this same mission, the triumph of God in the world. So this verse tells us that we need to know that Christ died for us not simply to forgive our sins, But that being forgiven of our sins, we would set our lives apart for God's purposes and his saving reign in the world. That's why we've been left here. So is that a priority in your life? All of that? Does the advancement of God's saving reign, which was made possible by Christ's self-consecration, does that hold a priority in your life. Jesus says that's why he's consecrated himself. If so, is that obvious in the way you treat his word? Is it obvious in the way you engage the world? As one redeemed by Christ, are you giving your energy to bringing your whole life into conformity with his word? You got to know it. You got to believe it. And then you got to intentionally Conform to it. You putting sin to death? 
Are you being shaped and driven by God's priorities and, and values? And has that become an ends in itself? Are you content to stop there? Or have you realized that that is unto the ends of mission, of witness? Are you concerned to see the same submission to the word of God spread to those nearest to you? I confess that. I think that's where the, this passage convicts me. I'm not. I am uh, content with my life stopping there. We're to be holy as God is holy. and That holiness includes a dedication to God's purposes in the world. It begins in my life, you see. It begins with bringing my whole life to Him, dedicated to Him alone, but it doesn't stop there. It is to spread out through me to all of His purposes in this lost world. And as we live this way, we are extensions of God's mission of love to the world. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He consecrated His Son. And He sent His Son. And Christ consecrated Himself. And that same love now sends us and calls us to consecrate ourselves wholly to God And to his mission as his witnesses. So that some, many, from the world would be brought out from the world. That is the hope of this passage. And that's the calling of disciples. And that's why Christ prays what he prays in these verses. So be holy. For I, Lord your God, am am holy. Any questions and comments as we finish? We have a couple of minutes. All right, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its clarity. Confess our sin, my sin, the lack of sanctification and devotion to you and and your purposes. I ask that you would do this passage in our hearts, that you would sanctify us now this morning through it, that we would bring our lives in conformity to this truth and you would make us more and more in line with it and that we would be useful for your purposes in this world. We love you. We thank you for your love. Thank you for Christ and all that he secured for us. It's in his great name we pray. Amen.